This week, Bryce and I are talking about quiet quitting. You may have heard of it, you might not, but really it's just a new name for an old behavior. And it boils down to two questions that we ask ourselves each day. Are we willing to do the minimum work necessary to keep our jobs? Or are we willing to go that extra mile? Tune in and listen what we have lots to talk about today. Welcome to The Thinking Leader, brought to you by Red Team Thinking. Bad leaders react, good leaders plan, and great leaders think. Each week, you'll get new ideas and insights from business executives, military experts, and innovative thought leaders to help you lead more effectively and better navigate your complex world. Now, here are your hosts, best-selling business author and top-rated leadership speaker, Bryce Hoffman, and former RAF Wing Commander and Business Agility Coach, Marcus Dimbleby. Welcome back to The Thinking Leader. Marcus, what are we going to talk about this week? Hello, my friend. Nice to see you again this week. I want to talk about something that's doing the rounds on LinkedIn, in the press, social media, something called quiet quitting. Have you heard of this? Quiet quitting. Yeah, quiet I have. Quiet quitting. Yeah, I've been doing a bit of research and really this is just a new name for an old behavior. Yes, I was going to say, you know? I, think, I can think of a lot of people I've known who quiet quitted over the years. Absolutely. Some of them, some of them never started. This is true. We'll get to those shortly. But it boils down to this, really. You think about it. Every employee, every workday makes a decision. And it boils down to this. You know, am I willing to do the minimum work necessary to keep my job? Or am I willing to put that little bit more in, that extra effort to go that extra mile to maybe get that promotion or get that next step on the ladder? And I think this has now really come to the forefront recently. People with the pandemic, people working from home, their sure. sense of trust in the organizations they're working with. And we spoke about this before, about how the, how leadership not, not showing this trust of their people, how leadership often follow in agendas for tokenism and these fake DNI agendas that we talked about, rather than focusing on their people for the right reasons, is causing people to become disenfranchised, disengaged, and hence quietly quit. What do you think of that? It's really interesting. You know, it, you're right. It comes down to trust and Trump comes down to employee engagement. It comes down to feeling like you're contributing. I think, you know, I think most people want to make a positive difference. Most people don't want to just come to work, get a paycheck and go home. I mean, there are people like that, but I think particularly in, in, in the professions, you know, there people want to feel like they're making a positive contribution, but oftentimes they're not able to. And, and that's amplified. You know, I want to go back to something you said about DNI. It gets worse when you pay lip service to something and don't do it. So when you, you know, and, and we've talked about this before, and, and this is something that Ellie Cloak, the head of our, our diversity and inclusion practice talks about is when you're in a situation where you're getting a job to increase the diversity of the organization you're in. And then nobody listens to you. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. You're made to sit in the corner, essentially. Then that's, that's like more frustrating than having not got the job in the first place. Yeah, very much so. And, 
And I think there's a lot that goes on like that today is people feel like, you know, they get, they get told, we want to hear from everybody and then they don't listen to anybody. They, we want diversity in our organization, but then the only people who get to make decisions are, are, are people who look like us, yeah, you know, things like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just, I think, I think over the course of the pandemic, as you said, this has always been a thing, yeah. but over the course of the pandemic, people have had a chance to pause and to reflect. And I think a lot of people are just, you know, like, you know what, I'm not doing this anymore. And if that's, if this is what it's going to be, I'm just going to, I'm just going to do the minimum effort. Yeah. Cause it boils down to that. What I used to call discretionary effort. You know, we've all got our job. Oh, I you, love that. You know, you all get your, you know, terms of reference or your roles and responsibilities in whatever job you have. You know, these are the things you are to do to get paid. Right. And, you know, and you go, as long as I do that. And, you, and I remember working with guys and gals and be like, hey, I've done my stuff. I'm off. And they'd be out the door at five o'clock every day. Hey. And if anybody ever called Clock out. watchers. Yeah. But if anybody gave them some banter that, hey, I've done my work. Is all my work done? Yes. I can't fault you. You've done that. But then obviously then they don't get promoted because they're not seen to be doing the extra mile. They're not providing discretionary effort, what I call it. Right. And, and I think that's, that's often a thing that has energized and carried a lot of organizations because when there was that competitive sort of environment where you had to be seen to be doing that to get on, that seems to have gone. As you said, this quiet quitting, tie that in with a great resignation, which isn't actually a resignation, it's a migration. Because people now have this opportunity to move to organizations, as you talked about, embrace this diversity of thought, embrace innovation and engagement and want people to do that and then enable it. That's the key thing. As you said, everybody talks about it. Everybody, oh, we want you to engage, we want you to be innovative, but then they actually don't enable it. And if you don't enable right. it, you can expect your people to walk out the door pretty quickly, I think. There's so much to unpack there, Marcus, because, you know, I, I so so on the one hand, you have the, the fact that if you don't have healthy competition in an organization, if you don't have people kind of collegially striving to, to, to better the organization and, and to race against each other to do more, you're never going to have a great organization. It's, and, 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 and when I was a journalist in, in Detroit, there was something that really fascinated me. Detroit's right on the, on the border of Canada and the United States. So it's literally on a river that separates the U.S. from Canada. And I was always surprised because there were always several Canadian reporters in all the newsrooms I worked in in Detroit. And I, I sat next to this one woman who was from Canada for, for a few years. And after we got to know each other, I said to her, I said, you know, she was complaining about, you know, after 9-11, you know, going over the bridge between between uh, the U.S. and Canada. Sometimes you take her an hour, two hours, you know, sometimes you get a strip search, you know, and stuff like this. I said... I said, I mean, are there no newspapers in Canada? Like, you know, why do you, why, why come over the border? Why go through this hassle every day to work in the United States? Is the pay that much better? And she said, no. But she said, you know, here's the thing about Canada. She said, everybody is a C player because there's no incentive to be anything other than a C player. You can't be fired as long as you do your job. And everybody knows it. And so as a result... Everybody is a term that we used to use in, in the newspapers that I, I think other people may be familiar with as well. Phoning it in, you know, he's just phoning it in. She's just phoning it in. And you're not, you're not showing up. You're just phoning it in. Anyway, she said, you know, at, at every newsroom she'd worked at in Canada, most people are just phoning in because there's no, you're not going to get, you're not going to get 
significantly more compensated, recognized, whatever, by going that extra mile. And so she said, I wanted to work in an environment where there's healthy competition amongst the reporters, you know, to see who can break the most stories, who can, who can have the, the, the most front pages, you know, things like that. Because, because in our culture that we had in the newsroom there, that's how you got promoted. That's how you got bonuses. That's how you got recognized. And, and so you lose that if you don't have that. And, 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 and people, you know, just think about, I think about the story I just shared. This was, this was 15 years ago, but she was, she was migrating literally, as you said, you know, she'd been fed up with the, with the, with the newsroom she'd worked in because there wasn't that, that, that fire, there wasn't a reason to bring your A game. And so she left and she came to a place where there was, we had an, where I worked was a crucible. The Detroit news was fiercely competitive internally and externally, and you were recognized for your hard work, but you know, it's that, and, and if companies, if organizations, not just companies, you know, government organizations too, one of the reasons why people say, oh, the, you know, government organizations are not innovative is because a lot of government organizations because they don't have the the kind of private sector incentives, they don't they don't reward people for being innovative. Yeah. They reward people for going along and getting along. And when you do that, you get mediocrity. So that, that becomes right. the norm. You see the sheep like passivity that we spoke about previously, and therefore you wonder why your organisations start to go down rather than up. And, and I think that where you know people demand hard work, it's a sort of standard expectation, especially in the private sector, that. And we talk about the cost of speed. We talk about increased productivity. Yeah. And these are needed and often essential in most organizations to stay ahead. You know, if you're stationary, you're going to die in this VUCA world that we live in. So you've got to be moving at pace. Right. But again, if you're moving at breakneck speed, it's dangerous. If you're moving without the capability of your people. But if you're moving with an expectation that that is the expectation of your people, but you haven't broken what I call the other half of the deal in that it's a two-way street. If I'm working for you, Bryson, you want me to work hard and fast and do the things you want me to do. Okay, I'll do that. But where's the valued piece that I'm going to feel from this? What's what's the right. pro quo here? Not, you know, I might get promotion. or And it's not about that anymore for people. I, I don't sense that people are just doing these things for promotion. I really do believe that people want to get up in the morning, come to work full of energy, innovation, excitement, and engagement, and do the best they can for their organization. But I don't think we've got leaders that deserve that anymore in the round. I think people are seeing that group of people close and become more narrow, and it's not their fault. And I've discussed with right. you, we mentioned it with Jose. We are over-promoting people. We are promoting often the wrong people and making them leaders of people without the expertise and experience. And, and if you're a leader out there, ask, you know, ask how much effort are you putting into your actual people? from a values perspective, rather than a demanding the work to be done perspective, that's fine, that's a, a necessary evil, it's life and it's work, but how much time are you investing individually with those people to form relationships, to develop understanding and clarity of each other, and then when they do that, they're gonna work harder for you, they're gonna work better, they're gonna work more engaged, because life's about relationships, and if you're not fostering those as a leader, then I don't really understand how you can expect people to do what you want them to do, especially in this day and age with everything else going on, without expecting the, the blowback from that, which we're now starting to see. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it starts, the first element of that is leading by example. 
you know, if yeah. you want your people to give 110% every day, you've got to give 120%. And, 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 and that, and it's, it's a powerful thing. You know, the, the, the best editor I ever had when I was a newspaper reporter, uh, shout out to Mark Truby. Uh, he hired me at the Detroit news and he demanded the world every day of his team. And I have never spent so many days working till 10, 11 o'clock at night, you know, night after night. Mm -hmm. But he was there till one or two in the morning every night. So it was really hard to get too upset when he'd say, hey, I need you to, you know, let's stay and, 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 and try to get one more source on this. Let's see if we can't find this out. Because he wasn't, he wasn't calling from his car phone on the way home yeah. saying, hey, I need you to finish. I that. expect you to do it, not me. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it, it, it's. It, and I, ne and that drives you. I mean, that's, I, it, it's like, you know, I don't want to be the guy that walks out with the story unfinished at, no, at exactly. 10 o'clock at night and leave him there, you know, and, and if he really wanted to guilt trip me, that's what he'd do. He's like, oh, you know, if you're going to go home, you know, I guess I'll stay here. Yeah, you go. Fucking story I'll write the best That's like, you know, and then of course, you know, yeah. Now some people won't do that. There was a guy at the paper at the time, older guy, every time they hired a new reporter, he would come over to their desk and say, you know, this is a union shop and they can't make you work. a. If you don't want to, they can't make you work a, a minute past your, 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 your quitting time. And you can only, you only have to do one story a day, no matter what's going on. And he'd give this whole demoralizing talk to the new newbie the first day. And he, he, he was a friggin' joke. You know, nobody respected him. He never broke news. He never, he never won awards. And he just sit in his corner and every time you saw other people working hard, he'd be like, I don't know why you guys are, st are still here. You know, you should be going home, you know, and stuff. Yeah. And, and so it's not a guarantee, but if you have good people on your team and you lead by example, you will make them better. You know, this 100%. editor I was talking about, he made me the best reporter I could yeah. ever be. hundred percent. Ex-military days, you know, that's getting down in the trenches with the troops. You know, the, right. the officers who sit at the back with their shiny white shirts and never get the boots dirty, you know, weren't respected, were invariably not very good. But the guys who you look left and right and you see them in there, getting their hands dirty, mucking in with people, leading by example, as you say. And I think what that boils down to, you know, we talked about trust. And what you've got to do really is, you know, as a leader, as a young leader, as an old leader, whatever you're doing, if you're leading people, you've got to enable and build trust. And it doesn't just come by default right. with your role or position. You know, really, you've got to, I think you've got to look at sort of three things with here. You've got to have those positive relationships. How you do that is down to you, but you've just given a great example. Get down in the trenches, roll your sleeves up, go work with them. Walk through the shop floor in the morning, go to the Gemba, where the work's happening, and just right. talk to people. Find out about what they're up to in their personal lives as well as professional. You know, one, get those relationships built and make them positive and consistent. The second thing is consistency. If you're a leader, deliver on what you promise. You know, people look at you and if you're changing your tack each week, consist consistently changing, you know, the paradox there, people are going to think, hang on a minute, they don't know where they're at. They're struggling to understand what's going on. Things do change. We know this. We're in a VUCA complex world but let them know why, explain. Hey guys, you know we were going this way last week? The boss has just come in, this has happened in the market, or the competition's doing this, we have to pivot. That's okay, they have understanding and clarity of why you do that. But if you're inconsistent as a leader, 
that just sows doubt into the mind of your people. And then look at the third one for me is capability. And we talk about this as part of our right. three C's. It's this expertise. Are you an expert? When you open your mouth, do people listen because it's consistently quality stuff that's coming out because you know your onions? And likewise, as individuals, am I capable of doing what's been asked of me? And you see so right. often people saying that this is the opposite. We get the yes men. It's not the quiet quitter. It's yes, I'll do that. I'll do that. And they're not capable of doing it, but off they go and do it. And they make a complete hash of it. And then someone else has got to pick it up the mess, you know, pick up the mess because they rushed off and weren't capable. So build those positive relationships, have that consistency of behavior and have the capability and expertise. If you provide those, these three things consistently as a leader, then I think your trust with your individuals is going to really start to grow and mature over time. And you'll start to trust them more. As I said earlier, this is a two-way street. It's not a matter of it you, is. you must trust me, I'm the leader. How about you trust the people who work for you? Because when you trust people, when I feel trusted, how well do I work off the scale? When someone's always pulling you back or question everything you do, you're like, hang on a minute, do you not trust me? You, you kick down the gear rather than kick it up. And that's a massive difference that we're seeing. It's great advice, Marcus. Let's take a break okay. here. When we come back, I want to talk about this two-way street concept and, and being not just a good leader, you give great advice to being a good leader. Let's talk about what it means to be a good follower. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Hey folks, Bryce here. If you're listening to this and you're liking what you're hearing and you're wondering, am I a red team thinker? We have an easy way for you to find out. Just go to the show notes, click on the link there to our free assessment to find out if you are a red team thinker and what you can do to think more effectively, to lead more effectively, and to make better decisions faster in your complex world. Like I said, the link is in the show notes, or you can simply go to our website, redteamthinking.com. Check it out. I can't wait to see how you score. Welcome back. So Marcus, we spent the first half of the show talking about what leaders owe to those who work for them and how people are quietly quitting or greatly resigning if they don't have good leadership. But it's a two-way street, as you mentioned. Yeah. And the other, the other side of that street is when you have good leadership, when you have leaders who are trying to be thoughtful, when you have leaders who are, are listening, you owe it to them to try to meet them, you know, at least halfway, if not more so, and try to be part of the solution as well. And this is something I've been thinking about a lot in the past week because we've been talking, you and I, on the show for, for months about the return to work and, and what, a, what a complex problem that is for a lot of organizations and how, how bad leaders, bad companies are, are just kind of approaching this in a dictatorial and heavy-handed way without thinking about the future of work and listening to their employees. But I was really disappointed to see uh, this week that Apple, which has been very thoughtful about return to work, has spent a lot of time talking with its employees about what the future of work looks like and has come up with what I think is a pretty reasonable plan of, of employees have to be in the office Tuesdays and Thursdays and then pick one other day that they're in the office with just their teams, has had a huge backlash really? from employees who are refusing to 
go along with the new, oh, the new program. Are really? refusing to return to work. Little, yeah. It's getting a bit precious now, isn't it? There's been a huge petition drive, but there's also been walkouts apparently this week in, in, in Apple employees saying that, or not walkouts, I guess not showing ups, saying we're not coming back. And I think that's that points to the fact that you is when you're when you're work for an organization, you got to be part of the solution too. And just digging your heels in and saying, "No, I'm not coming back to office ever," it's not being part of the solution. That, that's part of society's problem today, though, isn't it? And we spoke about this with Mick Paisley, you know. And you just said it then. You work for an organization. Let, let's take a reality check today. Let's take the pill. We get paid by organizations that we work for. They're not there for our benefit. They are there as a business, as an organization, and we work for them to create an output productivity. And hopefully we do that in a nice environment with good fun people, etc. But it's going a little bit extreme now, isn't it? After, I think it's this post-COVID again, hey, we could do everything at home. But we all know that social interaction is how we form, you know, as humans, the best, how we innovate the best. And yeah, we're not saying you do it all the time, but there's a happy medium. And it started to become very dictatorial by certain groups who think that they're calling the shots in organizations. And if that's what they think, right. then you play with someone like Apple, you're going to come to a stick end because there will be people who will take your jobs and happily go and work at Apple two or three days a week. I'm quite sure. Right. And, and you know, and that's the thing is what you, you know, it, it really, it's not just the return to work thing. We see this in other organizations where, where, Companies try to think outside the box. Organizations try to think outside the box. And sometimes the biggest pushback comes from inside the organization. We see this a lot in our work with different government agencies. A lot of the pushback, you and I were just talking about this before the show. A lot of the pushback, a lot of the thing that prevents governments from innovating and moving forward is the entrenched bureaucracy that just wants to keep things exactly as it is. Correct. It's easier to just keep doing what we're doing on autopilot than to think. Correct. And, and I think... I think Apple's done the right thing because, as you said, we've seen this very much. You're all coming back to work, Goldman Sachs style. We've had the others where, hey, guys, do whatever you like. Don't come back to work. Everyone will close the office down. And then you get the old 60-40, hey, just come back three days a week whenever. That doesn't work. And I've been working with one company where they've mandated 60-40, but they haven't mandated what days. So it actually makes the problem worse because people come in whenever they like. And almost you're creating that sort of call center mentality because you go in the office Half the team are in, half the team are at home. So you've got a mixed Zoom Teams type call scenario. The meeting rooms haven't been upgraded enough to do quality hybrid working. And you get people frustrated. Where if you just say, right, everybody come in on day X, day Y, you get that cohesive group. You don't get FOMO, the old fear of missing out because you know that you're in the office right. together. And then you get that third fun day to do what you want on. But I, I, I really don't see what the issue is with this. I really don't. Right. And, and I, if you look to me, if you look at what they've done to your point, it seems like they put a lot of thought into yeah. this. That's, that's think about this. Tuesday, Tuesday and Thursday brackets the week. Yeah. It's it, it, you know, it, it means that you're not ever going five days without, you know, being in the office. Mm -hmm. And so you're keeping people connected and then Talk about building team cohesion and team spirit is letting each team then pick when out, when are they going to work together as just a team. Yeah. And they don't have to be there for, for the rest of the organization, but as a team one day a week. There's a lot of goodness, a lot of good thought, I would it seems to me, in that plan. There is. And I think the people who are pushing back on it, from what I can read, 
and what I can can see on on the news are not pushing back on it with a, with an argument about here's what's wrong with the plan. They're pushing back on it with we like working from home and we've been doing it for two years and we want to keep doing you know it. pushing back on. Here's what I'm entitled to in my own mind. That's what it is. I'd love to hear comments from anybody who disagrees with this or think of whatever people think yeah. of this. Please comment you know, below when we get this up online. I think it's, I think it's a fascinating subject. And I really do think it's, like everything, there's too much polarization going on here. People are going left and right of our, rather than just thinking, we're all in this together. I'm an organization. I'm an employee within that organization. I have a quid pro quo agreement with that organization my contract and you know you and i have that to the business and we we work to that and we hold ourselves accountable to that if you just think you're showing up because it suits you you know there's never going to be a thing that suits you unless you work on your own doing your own thing with no one else you know, and that's fine if you want to do that leave and go and set up your own business working in isolation but if you're working in an organization the sort of 80 percent solution is good enough and if you don't like that then you're not a team player and if everybody works together, you can make that solution much more effective. As you said, I think that 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 engagement of the team coming together to, to decide that third day is a real powerful enabler. Right, and and I think that the you're right that there's, that entitlement is part of the problem. The other thing that I think is part of a problem that's also societal mm-hmm. is is we've got this this very cynical attitude that's kind of become. A, a very powerful stream, at least in the West, uh, of, of, of social thought that basically un- expects totally unrealistically things to change overnight. Yeah. And I'll give another Apple example that came out, you know, after the, the new iPhone was announced at the, at the beginning of September. I thought this was an amazing thing. Apple announced that they're shifting production of p- at least part of the iPhone output to India in an effort to start extricating themselves from China, which I think is a great thing on a lot of levels. And yet you got people already jumping on saying, yeah, but they're not moving all production out of China. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, if you do, you know, that's the problem. Right. Isn't it? Everybody's looking to jump on the bandwagon of Twitterism, you know, the Twitterati. Yeah. They want to be on there. Oh, I've got a pick fault. Nobody stops to look at any more of the positives what people are trying to achieve rather than, oh, you could have done that yesterday. But we didn't. But we're yeah. looking to do things differently. And if we, if we walk around with this, trying to throw a spear at everything, then it's not going to be effective going forward as a societal group. And I think that's a problem, as you said, societal. It, it's so, and it's a, it's a Western thing, it's so easy now to pick fault. It's a human default in the West, I think, to pick fault on things. It's all Einstein, isn't it? Right. You know, one times one, right. two times two, nine times nine is 80. And he goes, ta-da! And they go, oh, you, you stupid old man, you got that wrong. He's like, what? Nine times nine is 81. He goes, oh, yeah, silly me. But I got all the rest, right? And he turns around, look, we, we are all focused on the one thing people get wrong, isn't it? Right. And, you know, you, you made that one error and everyone keeps remembering it. They forget all the great things that you do. And if you become like that as a society, it becomes quite toxic. And therefore, these it does. great organizations that try and do the right thing even then get slammed for doing it. And then they start to think, well, why bother? What's, what's the purpose exactly. of benefit? I mean, it, there has got to be so much financial cost, so much Huge. organizational friction, so much time investment at Apple in order to start shifting production of the iPhone yeah. out of China. This is, this is one of the, mo- the 
best-selling consumer devices in the world. It's been produced in China since day one, I think. And this is a Herculean effort to start to ship production out of China. But they're doing it because it's the right thing to do. It's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. Yeah. And instead of people saying, wow, why aren't more organizations doing what Apple's doing and starting to shift production out of China? When you do have some people doing that, you do have like a lot of people, like you say, that, that in social media makes it worse. People just say, uh, yeah, why aren't they doing it all? You know? Of course they do. That's what we said, that yeah. social media allows the masses who aren't actually a massed force at all, but they just appear to be because of the voice of social media. And, and it's a dangerous thing. It really is because it has a massive impact and people tend to jump on the bandwagon with it rather than really doing that objective, critical thinking about what they're seeing, what they're hearing and the value of doing that. Likewise, all those employees at Apple straight away, oh, no, you can't make us go back to work in these days. Well, yes, we can. And if you don't like it, there's the door. Resignations accepted on Monday morning. Send them to HR. Thanks for your time. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it, it's a blunt, brutal fact of life and employment. And if people don't like it, then I think they're, they're looking and barking at the wrong tree. Really do. Right. Yeah. And, and I think that's the thing. Going back to what we said, it's a two-way street. Yeah. Leaders need to, tr- to, 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 to trust their employees, those who work for them, and they need to enable them and help them to be successful and to challenge them in a constructive way. And, and people need to, to challenge their leaders in a constructive way too. But if you're, if you're a, an old-fashioned command and control, nobody can tell me what to do, I know everything leader, you're not going to be successful in your organization. It's not going to be successful. And if you're an employee who, who ought, you know, automatically rejects whatever the boss says yeah. and just approaches everything with a negative light, you're not going to make your organization successful. And you're not going to be successful either. You may not be fired. You know, it's like this, this guy I told the story about before the break at, at the, at the newsroom I worked at in Detroit, he retired. He never got fired because he did exactly the bare minimum that he was required to do. But what, is, what sort of life is that? Exactly. Yeah, nothing. There's no legacy. There's no remembrance of yeah. quality, you know. And yeah. Hey, if that's what people want, fine. But don't, don't be bitching and moaning along the way and dragging other people into that to- sort of toxic right. mindset. That's, you know, I, I'm happy to leave anybody to be what they want to be, but don't impact others with your own right. negative perspective because it's very easy to do that. And people do tend to migrate towards that as well. It's unfortunate, and they get that amplified in social media. So there, there's the quiet quitting we kicked off with, but there's also this very loud verbal. Well, it's not quitting those. It's not loud quitting because they're not. They're talking a great game, but come down yeah. to it. I'd like to see the statistics. How many of those people whining and moaning about Big Bad Apple doing this actually resign? Yeah. You know? Interesting question. Yeah. Well, as you said, tell us what you think in the comments below. Indeed. Marcus, another great conversation. Always, my friend. We'll be back next week. Look forward to it. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in to The Thinking Leader. Check the show notes for more information about the topics covered in this episode there. You'll also find a link to our free assessment. Click on it right now to find out if you are a red team thinker with a red team culture.